BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. I need my cake, my cake, my cake, my cake. How's it going? Waiting for Stacey Davis Gates. Boy, how about that Ricky Hinden song, Rona Money? Man, that's a banger. Yeah, give me my money. Give me my money. Uh, and I couldn't see it. I just heard it. Uh, but the video with uh, Ricky, look, look, look at that. The video was shot during the summer or something. Cause isn't he wearing shorts? Yeah, he's wearing shorts, wearing... hanging out in a boat. <laughs> Uh, uh, so uh, Ricky Hennon, the great Ricky Hennon joining us uh, is the great Stacy Davis Gates. And uh, one time, Stacy, I don't know if you remember this, uh, you and Ricky were on my show together. You remember that moment? We were at the hideout. Remember that? <laughs> yes. It was a debate. You guys are on opposite sides. This was a few years back. You were opposite sides of Brandon's uh, race for uh, county commissioner, uh, uh, against um, just blanking on who uh, he was running again. Man, time flies. My my brain isn't what it used to be. Anyway, uh, you and Ricky were on opposite sides of that one, and uh, but you kind of got along pretty much, didn't you, Stacy? No, Ricky's fine. He, uh, if you understand that Ricky has what he has and feels what he feels, it's just fine. Yeah. Uh, that, that about sums it up. And uh, Ricky Hendon uh, is a good friend of my show. Comes on all the time. It was just on about two weeks ago. We were talking about A City So Real, um, Ricky's role in that movie. All right, Stacey Davis Gates, uh, Vice President of the Chicago Teachers Union, good friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show. I hope you're well. I hope your family's well. And as we uh, head in out of this year, 2020, thank goodness. Uh, but I think at the top of the list to talk about, Stacey, the number one thing to talk about is opening the schools and the effort uh, by the city, by the state. It seems like everybody wants to open the schools uh, before the vaccine, before teachers are vaccinated. So uh, as opposed to waiting a little bit until they are vaccinated and then uh, opening the schools, why don't you give everybody just a, a general uh, sense of where we are right now uh, on this issue? Well, I think, 
where we are is in a difficult position. Um, you know, everyone is anticipating this surge um, within a surge um, with respect to Christmas and New Year's and that our mayor and her team at CPS are um, threatening folks who don't show up to work with termination. Um, you know, people are scared, Ben. You know, I'm just going to tackle this first from, you know, a human perspective. Um, the number of text messages and emails um, and so, social media messages that, you know, I receive and then the entire union receives is it's it's overwhelming and it's heartbreaking at the same time. Um, the options are few to none. Um, you know, CPS has been intractable in negotiations with respect to how we do this. Um, the thing that we all agree on is that in-person learning is superior. I, I, I think that that is beyond, um, the, that is the one agreement. Where we diverge is when and how. Um, and the win, I think, is easy because we see the vaccine on the horizon with the healthcare workers being first in line, with um, residents of nursing homes being first in line. Now, we are told, not directly, but through tweets by reporters when they're in press conferences with the mayor or her team, that teachers are going to be um, in line 1B in terms of priority and that that should happen um, sometime in February and that it is a two-shot process. So conceivably, folks could be vaccinated um, by March, the, the grown-ups could be. It seems to me with a timetable like that, that there is some imagination that we can have get grownups vaccinated, even offer it to the parents and the family members of students, right? Because you have said that this is essential and this is a priority. So get the educators vaccinated, get school workers vaccinated, get um, adult family members vaccinated and reopen school after spring break, which is in March, and then extend the school year into the summer. What we are lacking is imagination. And the part about their reopening plan that continues to catch us up is that it's not going to happen without us. And we haven't been consulted, we've been told, and we haven't had agency in how this is going to work. What we do know as employees of Chicago Public Schools is that they come up with great ideas all the time that are very rarely implemented in a practical manner with the guardrails that they will need on a good day. And we are, we haven't seen good days in a while, right? In, in nine months. So the mayor and CPS are really asking people who have had very real experiences to suspend their better judgment to erase their memory of experiences as workers in CPS and to trust them that they'll get it right this time in the middle of a pandemic that's killing people. I, I just think that that's too tall of an order. 
Uh, it's not just the mayor that's doing this, and I'd love to get your reaction to this, Stacey Davis-Gates. Uh, it's also the editorial boards of both major uh, Chicago papers, the Sun-Times and the Tribune. Uh, and I think they're speaking for corporate Chicago and uh, civic Chicago uh, to one uh, degree or another when they say, uh, all the scientists, this is their point, all the scientists have said uh, it's not dangerous to reopen schools. And this is just a power play by the teachers union that's still upset because uh, Tony Perkwinkle lost uh, to Lori Lightfoot. So Chicago teachers union, stop making up science and stop, start listening to the scientists, basically shut up, get back in those schools. That's what corporate Chicago, civic Chicago and editorial Chicago is also saying your response to that. So um, one, the Tribune has a credibility. The Tribune's editorial board will forever have a credibility issue. Um, you know, one of their, I think the the chair or the person in charge of their editorial board um, wished a hurricane Katrina on black children in Chicago um, about a year or two ago. So, you know, sorry, can't hear you no more. Mm. Um, and the apology was empty. You said it. That's how you feel. Um, so there. Um but here's the thing, every scientist had a teacher and I'm sure that they had a science teacher. And what I understand about the science that is popularly available is that number one, children haven't been tested at the clip adults have been tested. So we don't know <laughs> enough about how children um, are being affected and how it's being passed along because children are not the subject of a lot of testing. Number two, we already know adults are getting it. In fact, there have been over 600 separate incidents in the Chicago public schools since September um, of COVID exposure and COVID um, infection. We know that. And this is with the skeleton staff of adults. We also know that the mitigation factors that they keep saying that they've put in place are inadequate. Let's just take their air filtration units. Um, they bought many of them, they said. I, I hesitate to quote their number because if people don't see them, then it doesn't mean it's real. That being said, that they have purchased units and the units, based on what we understand about them, may be insufficient for the spaces in which they will be operating. If you buy one for your household, they'll tell you this is the square footage. Anything beyond that square footage, you will not get the maximization. You won't maximize the effectiveness of the machine. Mm -hmm. So if the machine is for 500 square feet and you put it in a room, 750 square feet or a thousand square feet, then you are not getting the machine to work at a hundred percent. In fact, you're getting it to work at a, a lesser level, right? Mm -hmm. We know that they haven't bought the top of the line air filters either, right? Everyone in America and abroad are buying air filters. That being said, trust and evidence of what they've implemented have been a big deal. Mm -hmm. They forced our clerks back into buildings back in August. Our clerks got back into buildings. There were no sneeze guards erected. There were no social distancing markers or stickers um, in the building at that time. Heck, you know, I've had my experience going into one of the schools and wondering how effectively social distancing was being practiced, mm -hmm. right? 
um, this isn't easy. And in order to do this well, you need buy-in. And 70% of the families that attend the Chicago Public Schools said, we're going to stay in remote learning for now. And so if families have said very clearly to you that this isn't working for them, then why is it that we're still pushing ahead with a plan that isn't a plan and that doesn't have buy-in? Just today, I think Monroe and Vaughn Von Occupational, which is a special education cluster site, mm-hmm. their LSC said, yeah, we can't do this well and we shouldn't be coming back. Monroe Elementary School today, their LSC, they said the same thing. It was basically unanimous. I think at Monroe, the only person who voted against the resolution was the principal. We're not in a position to do this well right now. Now, it begs the question with vaccines being as close to us as they have ever been, especially with educators, why is there a rush to go back into school now? And I think the larger question that I've been grappling with, especially over the last week, is what is the acceptable number of illness and death that our mayor and her team at CPS, have they accepted a number? Right. Because we know that all of these scientists are working with probability models. And so they are spitting out numbers of people who could potentially die or or numbers of people who could potentially be infected. Right. We read about those every day. I got to know that they have those numbers for the Chicago public schools. It's a large urban school district with like tons of people. So there are numbers there. But I think that not being upfront that there is a threshold for death and illness is a problem with the public, with the families, and with the workers that actually need to have some confidence in the institution. And the long-term impact of these half-baked decisions that don't include anyone but themselves will be felt in how families either come back to the school system or choose to do something different. They're blowing it. Well, Stacey, since you asked the question and you asked it rhetorically, I'll answer the question the way I view the world and you get your response to it. Okay. So you said, why the rush to get back to school? And uh, you pointed out the obvious that vaccines are on the way. Uh, and we could have uh, teachers vaccinated, clerks vaccinated, principals vaccinated, I don't know, by March. So why the rush? And I will answer that question based on my 5,000 years of having covered politics in Chicago. Because the powers that be in this city are sick and tired of the Chicago Teachers Union. And they're sick and tired of the Chicago Teachers Union doing things like going on strike, making demands, and then forcing, kicking and screaming the powers that run this city to uh, sign on to what they demanded. They're sick and tired of that. And they want to send a message to the Chicago Teachers Union. And that message is shut up and do what we tell you. Go back to school. We say it's safe. And if we say it's safe, then that's like God's words. That's what that's why there's a rush in my humble opinion Stacy Davis Davis Gates your response. My response is that's not how it works in um, a democratic republic. It it just isn't. 
Um, and it also is in how it works for families. Like I have three children. You don't get to tell me what to do with my children when I know it isn't safe. The worst thing that I did last year when all, well, in March, when, you know, things were kind of, you know, building to a climax right before the governor, you know, shut things down is that I dropped my kids off at school and then I dropped them off at school with tons of sanitizer and soap. And I thought to myself, how am I sending a five-year-old into a building with the responsibility of keeping herself safe in a pandemic? Right. And so what we are, that type of number one, we're not just this caricature of a union. We are um, a collection of parents. We're a collection of human beings. We are people who love other people, who are connected to other people. We're people, right? And we're also educators, right? So you can't just tell us a thing. You know, we get to interrogate it. We get to ask questions. We get to, we get to ask you to show your work, right? Those are all things that teachers are, you know, notorious, notoriously known uh, to do, right? So we're going to do all of those things. And if the answers are insufficient, and if the people who, who believe they have the power are intractable and do not want to engage on a level that is professional, on a level that... Um, <clears throat> on a level that respects humanity and the impact of this, the, this pandemic on people, if they don't want to do that, then we know how to do that other stuff. What we have tried to do, Ben, very clearly is to go to a table, put forth ideas, um, use our imagination, um, be curious, solicit feedback from the people who will actually be doing the work and, and actually come up with the plan. I think my head exploded last summer when we said, look, how about we figure out how many of our members actually want to come back and, and do the teaching and how about we match them up with the families who want their children to return to in-person learning and figure out how to match those two groups up and, 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 and do that. Because you got 30% of families, roughly 30%, because some of the families checked the yes box because they didn't want to lose their place. But I, I suspect less than 30% of families will show up on the first day. That's my suspicion. We'll see. That being said, mm -hmm. you engage people and you figure it out. It's a pandemic. No one has done a pandemic before, like in a hundred years. And so if you're doing it in isolation and you're doing it in a combative manner, it ain't going to work. Mm -hmm. And we feel like we're being pushed into a corner yet again. All right. We talk about negotiations and every time you come on the show, I tell us antidote and I will uh, endlessly repeat it. So just bear with me one more time. Uh, Stacey Davis Gates. When the uh, NBA wanted to open up, after the pandemic closed, uh, shut down the season. They opened up for the bubble season. They didn't, Adam Silver, who is roughly the equivalent of Lori Lightfoot, the CEO, uh, did not just issue a proclamation. You will show up for these games or I will fire you, which is essentially what the Chicago public schools has said to teachers in Chicago. No, no, Bob Iger, the head of Disney, 
Uh, and Chris Paul, who is uh, Stacey Davis Gates' counterpart with the uh, National Basketball Association players, went for a walk, Stacey Davis Gates. They took a walk. And they figured out, it was like, Bob to Chris, what do you, what do we got to do to get this season going? And what, what do you need from us? You get what I'm saying, Stacey? And I get exactly what you're saying. We, that, that level of respect that Adam Silver and Disney had for the players in the NBA has always been absent in Chicago when it comes to teachers, always. It's no, this mayor's not unique in that regard, Stacy. Rahm Emanuel had no respect for teachers. He sat Karen down and said, you're going to do this and you're going to like it. They're always giving orders to teachers. Why can't we have a moment? Have we ever had any moment remotely like that? Where about the, the, the moment where the head of Disney met with the head of the uh, Players Association. Have we ever had anything remotely like that in Chicago, Stacy, between the mayor and you or the mayor and Jesse Sharkey or the mayor and anybody from Chicago Teachers Union? Not by experience um, and not to my knowledge. So I can speak for myself, not my experience and not to my knowledge. Look, you know, I think we can figure this out. I've always said that I thought we could figure this out. And we've been rebuffed at every turn, you know, and in every idea, it's just been a flat out no. And they believe that they have the law on their side, you know, and I keep going back to this back in 1995, um, Mayor Daley and, you know, a Republican governor, I think it was Thompson at the time, um, they struck a deal and they said that the mayor of Chicago could have control over the public schools. Edgar. Edgar, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. That the mayor of Chicago could have um, control. Oh, that's a bad thing for a social studies teacher to mess that up. <laughs> it's bad. okay, Stacey. Oh, that was. I've been, around a, I've been around a long time. <laughs> Jim <laughs> Edgar was the governor, uh, but whatever that, it does, it was, it was, uh, the, you had it right. It was Republicans cutting a deal with the mayor. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, still, still not a good idea to get it wrong. But at any rate, um, and it curtailed our ability to negotiate around issues except for, you know, wages and benefits. You know, there are a few other things here and there, but, you know, basically tied the hands of teachers. And then Rom doubled down on it and basically said, you're going to need to have every freaking member in your union say yes to a strike before you go on a strike. You know, it's just all of these things to beat up on teachers. And you got to know that, the absence of see, here's my theory, and and I'll and I'll just be very honest with you. Here's my theory: there is a reluctance by government to treat women as to give us equity and to see us as equal workers in the in in the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm I am a woman, I have three children. Most women do have children. Either they can be married or they can be single. And so, as a worker, I need childcare. Childcare is expensive, and the government has been very reluctant to fund universal childcare. They did once during the Great Depression, right? They, they did once. Mm-hmm. And then when those programs rolled away, so did universal childcare. But it didn't mean that mothers, single mothers, married mothers still didn't need childcare. So, school has been used as a substitute. And they know the government officials, t- 
titans of corporate America that the only way to get this economy back on track in their mind, now I think there are other ways, but in their mind, is to make sure that people are, are back at work. That means mothers of children. And so you got to get schools back because childcare is going to be an issue because we don't have universal childcare. They use public schools as childcare. Not a school, yeah. but as childcare. And so this push has is not about it's safe. It's not about this line about learning loss. It's not about any of these things. It, it, like, you know, children and their so so emotional, you know, uh, needs. Because children have social emotional needs in Chicago all the time. Our homicide rate is nearing a what, eight hundred? You know what I'm saying? So that didn't just happen in a pandemic. That's a thing that happened. So we always need social emotional supports. You know, we went on strike for social workers and nurses last year. So, so all of the reasons that they're given equity and all of that, if that, if they were in the business of providing these things, there wouldn't have been a strike in 12. There wouldn't have been a one day strike in 16 and there wouldn't have been a strike in 2019. There wouldn't have been anything because the equity that we've been demanding would already be there. So this 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 lie that they keep telling themselves and, and saying out loud that they're trying to bring folks back because it'll work better, it just doesn't fly. Seeing as that it doesn't work better on a good day. And so now all of a sudden it's supposed to work better because it's a pandemic. No. Our corporate titans need their workers. And in order to get their workers back, their child care center has to open up and they've used schools as child care centers. Yeah, and I would like to, uh, to add to that. Uh, one of the things I keep reading uh, when people are urging teachers uh, to go back is how important it is uh, to have uh, in-class learning to close the gap between the wealthiest kids and the poorest kids. I always re, uh, whenever teachers uh, make a, any kind of collective move, uh, Stacey Davis Gates, uh, to protect themselves or to uh, improve education or to get more money, okay, anything on their behalf, whenever they make a collective move, you have this reaction from the powers that be, what about the children? And I'm just saying, powers that be, you could care about the children after the teachers have made their move. So when the pandemic's over, if you're really concerned about the education gap between the wealthiest and the poorest kids, do something about it. Do you understand what I'm saying, Stacey? Do you yeah, hire more teachers. Close the number of kids in the classroom. Go ahead, Stacey. I'm going to go in a different direction. Why is it that there are countries all over the world that are dealing with this pandemic who sent their citizens a check every month and that we had to beg for $600, right? This issue of if, you know, G2 Brown, our friend says this, well, you can't care about my kids and hate me. So this whole concept that we can separate you know, a child from the experience that their family continues to have in the society and say that I'm going to love on your, your baby. I'm going to take care of your kids, but at the same time, not offer any opportunity for mom and dad to not be evicted, 
not offer any opportunity for their families to get assistance from the government because they need it because it is a pandemic or to block health care. So now we're going to send everyone back into school communities. Does and, and they keep saying, well, kids don't get it. Well, I don't know what island that these kids are living on that they live by themselves with zero adults that they will be transported back and forth from school. Like, do you know where that is? Because I don't. They typically live in households with grownups and many in multi-generational households. My children reside in a multi-generational household because I am a working mother and I need help maintaining my household and with childcare, right? So my life cannot be that different from most other working mothers. And I have a husband who lives in a household and who is active. It's difficult. And so this whole concept that we have excluded the term families from recovery is a problem. You cannot talk about reopening without talking about families. You know, families should have testing available to them, not just the students, the families. Honestly, let's get even more radical with it. When you offer educators a vaccine, put the families in line for the vaccine too. The kids are going back home. And if you're trying to maximize safety, you're trying to drive down infection, then make these things available. Our society, from our mayor on up to the fool in the White House still, they have zero respect for what it takes to do this thoroughly, to do it well, and to do it with the voices and the agency of the people who will be most impacted by the decisions. Mm-hmm. The, the, the policy that our mayor has chosen is, is, is to do this without anyone else's voice. It is a policy that will fail ultimately because I've never seen anything work when it's only one person's plan. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, you mentioned, quote, the fool in the White House. So that's a, a good opportunity uh, to divert the conversation a little bit and talk uh, some politics, national politics. Uh, the fool in the White House, of course, is Donald John Trump, president of the United States. And I opened the show, uh, Stacey, by doing something I never thought I would do. I'd love to get your reaction to this. And so I gave a shout out to uh, Donnie Trump. And uh, and I'll tell you why. It was a heartfelt shout out. I've never, Stacey, I've been around for 50,000 years, as I always like to tell you. I've been around forever, okay, watching politics, following it passionately. I've never seen a politician with so much control over a political party like Donald Trump and the Republicans. This man snapped his fingers and said, Republicans, I want you to vote. I want the $2,000 uh, rate. I want a, the, the, the allowance to go from 600 to 200. And then he wouldn't play golf. He didn't make a phone call. He didn't twist an arm. He, didn't, he wouldn't play golf. Stacey, I think it was like 44 Republicans flipped on a dime in the House of Representatives, and they passed uh, the legislation to move it from 600 to 2,000. Now, whether the Senate will do the same, I do not know. But that amount of political power that Donald Trump has over the Republicans, just imagine the good that he could have uh, got out of that over the last four years if he wasn't such a disastrous, toxic human being. Your thoughts? (laughs) You know, my granny would always say you cannot get right out of wrong. And um, Donald Trump is the quintessential example of that. 
um, Donald Trump is like a megalomaniac. It's all about him and how he sees the world and what benefits him and what he needs. Um, and sometimes it works for other people. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he doesn't mind appealing gratuitously to folks who he knows need more and giving them what they need at that moment, even if it isn't altruistic, even if it's not going to happen, because he'll quickly shift and blame it on someone else. Like what is interesting about today is that Mitch McConnell thinks he's going to outmaneuver the fool in the White House. Like <laughs> he does. It's like you have allowed this monster to ravage all of America you know, for the last four years and now he's coming directly from you and you think that you are going to be the guy that actually puts a pin in his behavior. Good luck because now Donald Trump said $2,000. The House said $2,000. Mitch is going to be the one who says, no, let's see how this works out. Mm. You know, and, and so I think this is where people say the chickens are coming home to roost this is the chickens coming home to roost because people actually do need $2,000. They've needed $2,000 every month since the pandemic started, right? Think about what the recovery would look like if we funded recovery. You can open schools back up if you figure out how to deal with their HVAC systems. You can open schools back up if you vaccinate the people who work in the schools. You can open schools back up if you figure out how to take care of the families of the students who are attending the schools. You can do all of what you desire to do, but it will cost money. And we have a difficult time in this country funding public schools, especially public schools that, you know, are, 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 are predominantly black and brown or have low income students because they can be white too and, and low income students and their schools ain't getting funded either. Right. We have, we don't have a muscle for that. And so when you have a pandemic that hits, that is ravaging communities of color, all of the worst is happening at the same time. Right. And the best that leaders are doing is telling us to trust them. And it's insufficient. And people don't. Seventy percent of the parents in the Chicago public schools say, yeah, we're going to pass on this and do remote learning. Now, if our mayor and her team at CPS were really about their business, you know what they would say? I hear you, parents. Let's make remote learning better and more sustainable. But just like the nut in the White House. They are tunnel vision, seeing what they see. I don't know if that's a blaze of leadership, elected, like political leadership or not. And it is impacting the most vulnerable of us in the, in the wrong way in this moment. And it ain't sustainable. And Joe Biden ain't going to snap his finger and we're going to be out of eyes. Like that, that's not going to happen. Like he's not going to snap his finger and we are back in the bed in Kansas. Not going to happen. It's going to still be work. The same competing forces are the same competing forces. The only thing that Donald Trump, well, not the only thing, but one of the things that Donald Trump did was that he provoked people into action. Those same people are going to have to stay in formation 
because we're not snapping our fingers and we're back in Kansas, not with the numbers we keep reading about, not with this new mutation of the virus that, um, that, that um, spreads more infection faster, not with anything that we're dealing with in this moment, not with unemployment, not with the death, not with the trauma. We're going to need a new deal, a greater society. We're going to need all of those like large scale public works, um, public investment, people investment programs and, 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 and policies that actually get us out of this. And it has to be multi-year. It is not going to be over in the first term of Joe Biden. It ain't even going to be over in the first hundred days of Joe Biden. This is a mess. Do you have a sense that Joe Biden himself is committed to the sort of agenda that you just outlined? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. Um, I think he's going to have to be in order to get a recovery that's necessary. Remember, he only, he only has 18 months to get this right. Midterms are coming up. Mm. Right? You know, 2022 is going to be tough. It's going to be very tough because the people who voted this past November were voting. Everyone wants something to happen fast. The pandemic cannot be over quick enough for most people. Think about it. You know, they had enough of it. So now let's get on a plane to go somewhere. No, you're like really still in a pandemic, you know, calm that down. Um, so it's going to there's going to have to be some discernible positive impact for real people real fast because when those midterms roll around it could be detrimental for um, the house of representatives on the federal level but even more so for folks um you know at the local and state levels people are hurting and they need relief that is what we hear that's what we see you see what new york just did they just passed um a sweeping anti-eviction, you know, um, legislation to make sure that people can actually stay in their homes. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, Americans have, uh, don't have much patience. They certainly haven't had much patience with the pandemic. Uh, but you're absolutely correct, Stacey. It's not going anywhere. Uh, and, uh, it's certainly not going to be gone by the uh, start of the new year. All right, let's shift, uh, go back to Illinois. And I'm going to ask you the question that I ask every guest that comes on the show. That's, uh, uh, more or less of the democratic persuasion. And you definitely are of the democratic persuasion, Michael Joseph Madigan, house speaker and leader of the democratic party. Uh, do you believe that Michael Joseph Madigan, uh, should be replaced as speaker of the house? You know, that's a question. So, you know, our union, right? And you know that, you know, we have a process of choosing our leaders that isn't different from the process that they have, you know, on the House side or on the Senate side. And, you know, I gotta think, you know, is there something that all of the members of the Black Caucus understand about this moment that hasn't been covered widely? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is it that the Black Caucus is grappling with? Because that's the largest block, I think, in the House, like the largest caucus, the largest block in the House at this moment. So I'm curious about that. Right. I'm also real curious about what else should we be thinking about in this moment and how we should be building for the future? Because to go back to what I just said a minute ago, 
2022 is going to be a doozy. And it's not going to just be a doozy. It's going to be a big one for Illinois. Those fair tax, that fair tax loss was, I think, revealing in that where it won and where it lost. And I'll come back to the Black Caucus. Black Chicago stood up for fair tax in the same way that Black Chicago stood up for Kim Fox, right? And so what is it that the Black Caucus is tracking in this moment? And how does it overlay with the progressive needs of our city, our county, and our state? And how are we organizing on that? And then how do we make leadership respond to that? Right. I've never had the luxury of having the leadership that I wanted at any level of government. Right. When I started working for the union, it was Rahm Emanuel. Right. Mm. He wasn't. And now it's Lori Lightfoot. And we still like in the same back and forth with the mayor, even one who said that she was progressive versus the one who said to hell with progressives. Right. So this whole concept of building movement, clarifying an agenda and getting that agenda passed because you win it is my thought process. I don't think anything magical happens without movement and organizing. So I come at this question from a completely different perspective. Who's organized? What are we organizing for? And how are we taking what we need? Right? Those are my questions. Because this back and forth horse trading is a thing, and I get it. How we sell newspapers is how political pundits get their job. But my job as one of the leaders in the Chicago Teachers Union is about building movement, clarifying our agenda, and winning that thing. And it's not just confined to the bread and butter issues of schools. It's combined to the whole ecosystem of our society. And so those are that's what's missing from this discussion for me. Right. How are we going to secure Illinois? I grew up in Indiana. Indiana was blue when I was a kid. The Speaker of the House was our representative. Evan Bayh was a two-termer. Joe Kernan, um, Frank O'Bannon, all Democrats as as governors. Right. Pete had to leave Indiana because he knew he couldn't. He had hit the ceiling with Mayor South Bend. So this whole concept that we are thinking about in this moment has to be bigger than who's in and who's out. If you listen to debate on the House or the Senate floor, and I've listened to plenty of debate on both floors, Illinois ain't that different from Indiana, except for Cook County, except for the city of Chicago, except for black people. And so in this moment, I think as an organizer, and I'm thinking not just of this moment, but of the next 10 years and then the 10 years after that. And how do you get a progressive income tax passed in Illinois and not just in Chicago? Because if Chicago was Illinois, we would have a progressive income tax. All right. Well, let me just say to that, this to that. The Democratic Party will not continue to flourish in Illinois. Illinois will not continue to be a blue state. Illinois will not continue to have a distinction uh, from Indiana. If we go down the path, we're going down, in my humble opinion, Stacey. And that has to do with this. 
whether he stays or goes, Michael Maddox, no, if he stays, if he's going to fight, he has to change his ways, Stacey. His old ways of the Wizard of Oz behind the screen, behind the curtain, that doesn't work anymore. You got Donald Trump tweeting from a golf course. Listen. It, it's it's a new age. Sending out press releases is not content anymore. Go ahead. It's not just a new age, Ben. People have more needs. People have seismically more needs. Think about what it's going to take. So listen, this, this is what I'm this is what I'm focused in on. So everyone keeps talking about learning loss. Schools are essential for the health of our students. We got to get our kids back into school. Like they, that, that is the refrain, right? Wait till May when it's time to pass this budget. How much more money is the state going to allocate to school districts, especially the school districts that were already hurting, that will be hurting more as a result of, you know, this pandemic? Are they going to add more money to it? Are, are they going to help us extend our school year to try and, you know, figure out how to offer more? Are they going to figure out how to retrofit, you know, our HVAC systems? Again, it ain't good enough for me to just talk about who is and who ain't. People have material needs. So yeah. who is speaking to the material needs of our people in this moment? And I'll say this. The, the Democratic House caucus has been, has been good to our movement, right? The Democratic House caucus, they have seen that pensions are a promise, right, to working people. They also believe that we need an elected school board here in Chicago. And they also believe in the full restoration of our bargaining rights that were taken from us in 1995. Far be it from me, you know, to like spit on them because they've been right on those issues. Mm -hmm. The hope is how are they gonna be right on the issues and the challenges that lie ahead for us? Because they are, manifold they are um their life and death and they will not go away because we are distracted by this or that or the other mm -hmm. and then i'm gonna say this because i'm black and people know i'm black but i'm black and i'm progressive and this is the fight that i have in the progressive movement you got to see black voters you got to see black voters and we gotta, we have to be curious with the Black Caucus and ask them questions. Whether I agree with them or not, whether it makes sense to me or not, you have to begin to interrogate that and ask questions. Again, if you are organizing, if you, look, we took over our union, mm -hmm. right? There, we had a critique of our union that was retrograde that wasn't big enough to encompass the needs of Chicago and the students that we serve and the members who needed us to be fighters and to have vision and to be unafraid to challenge the status quo. Karen Lewis led that, but she didn't lead it by herself. It wasn't done in the dark. It wasn't done in retrograde. We were organized, we were all over the city, and we fought the power that was entrenched within our union. But we did it because we were organized. We did it because we had an agenda. And, and, and that's what this moment has got to be about. Like we are in survival mode and too many of us ain't surviving. 
And so if we hope to get to the other side of this pandemic, it ain't just getting a shot in the arm twice. It will be that we got a, our economy got a, an infusion of resources, that we have prioritized the least of them, the many, that we have made policy decisions that put mothers who work, you know, in, in, in the position of having universal childcare, that we are, we're on our way to, you know, universal healthcare. Like all of the things that we need, we need them to happen. And we need an organized force to keep working on making those happen. And that's the part that I'm afraid that's being lost in this. And quite frankly, that has been the work of my union, my work for the last 10 years. So, you know, forgive me if, if I'm being dogmatic about that, but that is the point for us. All right. Well put, Stacey. We'll uh, close on the political end of it uh, with that. And uh, I'll, I'll, close uh, our conversation by switching gears dramatically uh, in a way that I didn't warn you at all that I was going to go this way. And uh, folks who've been listening to this show uh, over the last year know that Stacey Davis Gates uh, is a big fan of basketball, that she used to play basketball. We did a whole interview uh, talking about the impact of Michael Jeffrey Jordan on young Stacy Davis Gates as a uh, high school kid uh, in South Bend, Indiana, and her love for basketball and the Bulls, etc. So uh, as we head off into a new NBA season, my beloved Bulls are already 0-3, Stacy. They found they've been blown out twice, and then they lost a heartbreaker at the buzzer that I still haven't quite got over, even though two days have passed. So uh Let's close with a little basketball conversation. Will my beloved Chicago Bulls win any games this year at all, Stacey Davis Gates? And if so, how many? Of course they're going to win games. (laughs) Of course they're going to win games, but they're not going to win enough. And and they're going to keep trying. You know, well, the Bears gave us one on Sunday, so we can't be too mad. Uh, Stacy, my attitude about the Chicago Bears is the stuff for uh, psychoanalysts, okay? I was through with the Bears. They lost six or five. That's it. I'm never going to be a <laughs> They should have. They didn't take Patrick Mahomes. They're prejudiced against black quarterbacks. You should have heard me, Stacy. And now they they've won. Did I just try? <laughs> they are. Yes, they are. So I struggle with the Bears, okay, Stacy. It's like uh, I have a lot of mental anguish. I'm not even – I haven't even decided if I'm going to invest in anything and watch the freaking game on Sunday. Uh, that's so much. Well, you're going to watch the game on Sunday because you are a true Chicagoan and a true Chicago sports fan. So you can say that to people who might believe you. I don't. Um <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, look, we got to get it together because we need some wins somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, I, whew, this has been a tough nine months. I'll tell you that. It has been a tough nine months. And I, I, don't, I don't even know if sports do it for me anymore because I'm worried about the athletes getting hurt on the court, yeah. especially with the collegiate athletes. Yeah, no, it's a really tough time. And uh, I, I'm, I'm all over the map when it comes to sports because on one hand, it's like, uh, it's so dangerous why are they doing this. On the other hand, I, I'm stuck in my house. I need my basketball. So <laughs> I'm sort of a mixed message uh, on that front, uh, Stacey, I must admit. And um, there's only so much I can get out of watching reruns of Michael Jordan and the Bulls from the <laughs> 1990s, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> you already know the ending. <laughs> yeah, I know the ending. It, 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 well, ultimately, uh, it didn't work out that well because they broke up that team prematurely. All right, Stacy, I want you to have a very safe and uh, healthy New Year's, and I look forward to having many more conversations with you in 2021. How about that? Look, I appreciate you and you continue to stay safe. <clears throat> you know, one thing that I have learned in these nine months are to cherish, you know, the people who, you know, I've connected with, um, the time that we share together and just to appreciate it and to live in the moment of it. So listen, man, I appreciate you and Dennis continue to be safe and, you know, have, you know, the best new year that you can. All right. Very good. That's great. Stacey Davis Gates. We used to call her governor. Now we call her SDG. Thank you, Stacey. We'll talk to you next year. All right. For sure. You take care. All right. Stacey Davis Gates. Dennis, got any updates for me? No, not really. I just want to remind everybody uh, that we are not going to have a live show on Thursday, New Year's Eve. Not going to have a live show Friday, New Year's Day. Be on the lookout for Benny J bonus interviews and segment specials segment specials like the continuation of our 10 gates of Illinois hell Ben Jarofsky show end of the year countdown special the 10 gates of Illinois hell whoa buddy <laughs> we already did 10 through 6 alright it's available for download at the Chicago Reader website wherever else you download podcasts it's also on YouTube go check that out and tomorrow we are going to be live streaming the rest of the countdown uh, like I said we went through 10 through 6 we'll go through number 5 and then well I think you know how countdowns work after that we do number one. Number one. Number one. Whoa. It's our 10 Gates of Illinois Hell Ben Jarofsky Show countdown. Continue tomorrow. Uh, we encourage everyone to join us. We'll jump on probably about 5 p.m. or so. We'll have more of an idea of when we'll be jumping on tomorrow. But check it out, and it'll also be available for download. And find us on social media, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us an email, Show at gmail.com, and you can call us. It's true. We have a phone number, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. Boy, we'd love to hear from you. I love the number again part of that uh, bit. All right. I want to thank Stacey Davis Gates, outstanding job as she always does. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy in all Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Stacey and Donald Trump will tell you back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Big problems. Big problems. Number one. If you have like a compost facility nearby, that's a really good option because they can mulch it or compost it. If you have a chipper or something yourself, you can do that as well. Any way to reduce causing additional waste.